So today on Pentecost Sunday, I'm going to be turning to, and we're going to be turning to one verse from the Acts 2 recording of the first sermon of the Christian church after Jesus' ascension to heaven, a very famous sermon, Peter, the apostle Simon Peter's sermon on Pentecost Sunday in Jerusalem. This is at the great feast of Pentecost, or weeks, or Shavuot, 50 days after Passover. You remember Jesus crucified at Passover. And then shortly before uh, the weeks, uh, the coming of the Feast of Pentecost, Jesus ascends to heaven and tells his disciples and his apostles to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? So you read this in Luke 24, verse 49. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. So this happens at Pentecost. We opened with our call to worship. The opening verses of Acts chapter 2 talking about the manifestation and the presence of the Holy Spirit on the believers on Pentecost Sunday. Now, in the midst of the sermon in response to that, and specifically as Peter responds to the question of those who hear the sermon and are cut to the heart, what should we do? Peter says, you need to repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. So picking up from there, again, the emphasis on the promise, just like Jesus had prepared his apostles for. The promise of the Father, the, the thing that all the scriptures leading up to in this sense. Verse 39 of Acts chapter 2. For the promise, same word there, as in Luke 24, 49, that Jesus you know, that we have the recording of Jesus' words, Epangelion, okay? Here, Epangelia. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. What is love? Love, in its essence, is a promise. A promise. The heart of a covenant and you understand that the gospel all circles around and leads us to a covenant that God makes for us. Indeed, in Jesus Christ, the new covenant, the covenant of grace fulfilled and fully consummated in Christ. A covenant is a promise. Parents and Sunday school teachers for our children, you know, when we talk about covenant, we also often explain it to our children children who come to this church and children in your own household is covenant is promise. But let's pull back to reality. Now, in every generation, countless people, definitely young people, fifth graders, eighth graders, and oh yes, definitely 15, 16, 17 year olds with the hormones firing and everything else. Um, and in college students, the sophomore dating the freshman, the senior maybe dating the freshman, gets kind of interesting there, yeah. Um, 
I've met people all the way through life, people involved in midlife crises, even older people. I've seen it in senior facilities. You get all these proclamations of love. I love you. What is that? Well, that's a promise. And sometimes it's even explicit. I'll love you forever. I've never loved anybody like you, and I never will. Uh, sometimes those statements are made in the immediate intoxication of infatuation. Sometimes they're made in the heat of lust and passion. And not surprisingly, sometimes even mere minutes or hours later, and definitely sometimes days or weeks later, and yes, in some cases, a year or a decade later, Folks who made those incredible, you know, apex-type promises retreat from, restate, revise, or even renege on the promise that was implicit and explicit in the words, I love you. Well, maybe not. <laughs> um, so I want you to understand this. Young people understand this. Older people, like me, need to understand this. Here's truth and wisdom from God. A promise is only as good as the giver of the promise. Let me repeat that. A promise is only as good as the giver of the promise. See, a promise is not so much about the words you can write down on a piece of paper. I'll tell you this, every generation, millions and millions of folks say the same or similar words at wedding ceremonies. I'll love, honor, and cherish you, no matter what, in sickness and in health, in riches or in poverty, in the good times and the bad, when we're well and when we're sick, I'll love you forever. So help me God. But you know what? Some of those folks don't get a lot of help from God or turn away from God's help. And they say those same words, but a year later or 10 years later or 20 years later, or oftentimes, of course, a seven year itch time, they don't mean anything. Because, like I've already said, a promise is only as good as the giver who makes the promise. I wear a wedding ring. Some of you do as well. Now, this wedding ring is a sign and a seal. In some sense, broadly speaking, kind of like our baptism and when we share communion. It's a sign and a seal of a covenant relationship and of covenant promises. But ultimately, what this ring and the ring Nancy wears for me, that what they stand for is not so much the details of promises. And, you know, I'm, I come from a legal background. I love lawyers, I guess. And, you know, we tend to write up a lot of pages of details and stuff like this. But bottom line, bottom line, what the covenant that's being made in a marriage 
is not so much about the details, it's not so much even about in sickness and in health, you know. Those are just some of the range of the details. The promise is that I give myself to Nancy. You hear what I'm saying? I, I give myself, and then that plays out in, in sickness and in health, okay? Those are the details, but the central promise is of myself, no matter what, continually. Now, let's pull out from that example too. Imagine a widow, and it could be a widow, and we could have a man, uh, you know, a woman marrying a widower with his children, but let's just go with the scenario of a widow who is a mother. I'm saying widow to make this story simple, right? So widow with children. If God moves in the heart of a man to marry that widow, that man is going to be called by God. I guarantee you this, and I definitely would encourage this in premarital counseling on this. That man is being called not only to marry the wife or the mother, the widow, but also whom? The children. If he's going to marry her, he's making a commitment. And again, I would encourage this, if, if everybody's good with this in the family and the children, that the man would actually adopt as his own and pledge himself not only to his prospective wife, the widow, but also those fatherless children. And Edward, that story kind of relates to a lot of what you do and father-child ministry does for fatherless children. But you know, the reality is, the problem is, all of us are fallen sinners. I talked about my marriage to Nancy, only by the grace of God and by God's help am I anywhere close to making good on my promise of myself to her lifelong, right? I mean, and I, I fail as a husband. We all fail in so many ways in our relationships. I guarantee you this, speaking of promises, parents, how many times have your children said to you, you promised me and you didn't come through? I mean, that's the, like the, the refrain for, you promised me this, but honey, you know, the, the, uh, the, the storm prevented this. Yeah, but you promised. Try, try to explain that to a four-year-old, right? You if you promise something, you better come through on it, parents. But um, or God have mercy on you and help you through the situation. But, but what if, what if you could have God's promise? And better yet, parents, because you know you'd lay down, if you're a good parent, you're gonna lay down your life for your child, right? You, you put them ahead of you. What if your child could have God's promise? And connect the dots here from what I've already said and what we've already said. If God promise, if his promise is for your child, then he's for your child. He's committing himself, he's pledging himself to your child. And that's awesome. You know what we might call that? I, I didn't invent this term, but it, it strikes me. The gospel, good news. I mean, that, that, when you boil, again, you can write a bunch of papers about this, that, and the other details and manifestations of it, but this is the gospel at the heart of it. What if your child 
could have God's promise of himself. And let me assure you of this. If God gives himself to you, nobody can get in between you and him. Not you, not the devil, not the 21st century, you know, crazy culture we live in. Nothing can get between and can get between your child and God if God has promised and given himself to your child. That's what the Bible is talking about with the gospel. And, and that is the reality. When God's word declares that God's promise is for your child, God, I, I don't mean Pastor Martin, I don't mean you know various church historians, I mean God himself is committing himself fully. And that means forever to your child. God's promise is for our children. So I've just pulled out and highlighting this for today on Pentecost Sunday. And you can follow along in the sermon notes now. I think we'll have a few of these that we're posting up on uh, the screen here as well. But let's move through this good news. Number one, what is the promise? What is the epangelia that is so highlighted, you know, so many times in the New Testament? You know the Greek word, uh, euangelion, uh, means it, we get the word gospel, okay, from that term. Okay, this is a, a, a similar in structure type of term. It's a big term in the New Testament. So many people miss it, the promise. But remember what Jesus said. When Jesus prepares to ascend to heaven, we read this in Luke 24 verse 49, Jesus says the big deal, go and wait in Jerusalem because you are going to receive the Father's promise. Well, I thought the promise was of Jesus, the Messiah. Yes, but that's totally not in conflict with what the Messiah in his atoning death and resurrection prepares us for, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise is of God himself. In both of those stories I just told you, both of those aspects of the gospel, the promise, number one, is God himself. A lot of people get distracted by the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, even in the Pentecost story. The tongues of fire are great. The wind is great. The speaking in various languages, so reversing the Tower of Babel story, which is what's going on. That's another sermon for another day. That's going on in Pentecost, okay? The gospel is going to spread to all nations, to all people, so that the promise that God made to Abraham and the covenant God made with Abraham will be centrally and fully fulfilled. That's, that's what's going on in Pentecost. But in the midst of this, you need to understand this. God is giving himself, and he is giving himself because his spirit is himself. He is giving his spirit. So number one, the promises of God himself. Uh, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money. You may know in the New Testament we are told constantly to be free of the love of money. This is another God. Jesus tells us this. But let's keep going in this passage. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said. This is the story of life, real life. This is what you need to teach your children about. I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you hear that promise? How good is that promise? It's coming from God, from the Lord himself. Is it, I'll never leave you if you're really good? Is that what it says? I'll never leave you unless the devil scares me off. Unless you sin really badly and, you know, I reject you. No, no. I will never leave you or forsake you. 
If you don't have that as a memory verse, you need to have that as a memory verse. That's the second half of Hebrews 13, verse 5. And then moving on to verse 6. So we can confidently say now, and here uh, quoting Psalm 119, excuse me, 118, verse 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In other words, if God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, what can man do? I mean, can man burn me at the stake? Yeah, absolutely. Can man separate me from my family? Yeah, absolutely. Can man destroy and blow up my house um, if I live in Severnadesk? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But God has pledged himself to me. That means no matter what happens here on earth, I belong to God and he's with me and for me forever. The promise of God is for himself and specifically now, our highlight for today, the Holy Spirit. God himself is his spirit. You need to understand this. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a series of manifestations that give the presence of God. Okay, the fire, the wind, these are all manifestations of God's presence in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is God himself in the room and God himself in you if you are a Christian. The Holy Spirit is not an electrical bolt or a pick-me-up. Okay, the Holy Spirit is God himself. Now, if God is in you, he may indeed empower you. He will, okay? But it's not the power, it's God himself. God is speaking of his presence and the life he gives by his Holy Spirit with this promise. So in Acts 2, 16 through 18, Peter citing Joel 2, verse 28, he says this, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and on your sons and daughters. And they shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And the passage that we focused on last year when we were moving through Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. What's he talking about? It's very poetic. This is what it means. I will pour my spirit, God says, Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring. Do you hear that? Who's my offspring? My children. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Who are my descendants? Children, grandchildren in the covenant family. And that's what God is talking about here. Number two, God's promise gives me life. No matter what and forever. God's promise gives me life no matter what and forever. Psalm 119 verse 50 great verse. Again, I commend all these verses to you. This is my comfort in my affliction. Anybody afflicted, challenged by things, health issues, personal issues? This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Your promise, God, gives me life. You know, in the last couple of years, we've learned a lot about human plans. How solid are human plans? Can you rely on them? Plans people made in 2019 for 2021, were they, they turn out pretty well? No, not at all, right? Uh, what about profits, property, and portfolios? Did you know that the 50 richest people in the world have lost 
something like $500 trillion in the last three months. I mean, it's incredible. You're going to trust in your retirement account? Really? Really? In your property, in your acquisitions, in your lake house? Really? No. What about our, we're really scientific now, we're very advanced now. What about our pandemic protocols? We pretty much nailed that, didn't we? I mean, we were really good at that. Like, whatever came out in March of 2020, you could bank on totally, right? We totally understood the pandemic, right? Everybody agree with that? The science, the medical experts? You gonna count on pandemic protocols for your future, for your child's future? What about politics? Our politicians are really good. Oh, I love this politician, man. I'm gonna vote for him. Um, you remember when I talked about the 16-year-old in the car with the girl making promises, I'll love you forever? Don't bank on that. Please, daughters, don't bank. Man, okay. Same way, Americans, please don't bank on the false promises of your politicians. That is not where you're going to find your salvation. What about pop culture and artificial glory from our pop stars and the latest TikTok? Have you seen that one? Is that what you're getting your life from? Seriously? The psalmist says... Your promises, your promise gives me life. That's life. God's promise gives me life no matter what, no matter what happens in the world with pandemics or, you know, market crashes or anything else. In my affliction, your promise gives me life. And so in the New Testament, Philippians 1 verse 6 Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, when Christ comes again at the judgment and heading into eternity in the kingdom of God in fullness and consummation, what God began in the one that God has claimed, he'll bring to completion. And you know what? You're looking good at the judgment, Christian. Child who is called by God, you're looking really good at the judgment and heading into the eternal kingdom and consummated by Jesus Christ at his return, he'll bring it to completion. That promise is guaranteed. You can count on that. Not your politicians, not your favorite politicians' promises. I'm talking about God's promise. And then in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's verse 12. You better not stop reading there. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God in you. What is that? The Holy Spirit filling Christians and bringing to completion what God has promised through his son, Jesus Christ, in you as he called you. This is a real promise. God in you, his Holy Spirit. And he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body, in other words, all of you claimed by the Holy Spirit, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's God. That's That's God. That's God. He's guaranteeing it. Number three, all God's promises find their yes in Jesus for all believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That means Jesus. That is why it is through him, through Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Everything. You know, by Christ alone, 
Okay, this is by Christ alone. But it's fully fulfilled in Christ alone. Every single promise in this book finds its yes in Jesus. And God's promise for you finds its yes in Jesus. Thank God it's not based on me, right? It's based on Jesus and it is sure. Galatians 3 verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Wow. By faith in Christ, I become a son. And women, this applies to you too. This is the son language is about inheritance, okay? Inheriting the kingdom and having full rights in the kingdom, which women and men, all who are in Christ have fully, okay? So speaking of Abraham, number four, God's promise is for families. Listen to Genesis 12, verse three, one of the most important verses in the whole Bible that pretty much sets up the story of the Old Testament leading to Jesus in the New Testament. Genesis 12, verse three. I will, God says to Abraham, to Abraham actually, I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And listen to this, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Families, God's promise of himself is to families. It's about families being called in community with God. And, and, and even as God continues to elaborate and develop the covenant and make further covenant uh, with Abram, in, in, in chapter 17 of Genesis, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed, your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your, listen to this, and to your offspring after you. So finally, number five, for us today and for our VBS program, what's it about? God's promise is for our children all he calls to himself. For the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off from every single background, every ethnic background, every culture, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Here is the gospel. When God declares his promise to your child and to a father's child, God is committing himself. God is committing himself to your child. All he calls will live in him forever, guaranteed. And as Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, the Holy Spirit in every believer is a guarantee of what is to come. God is already in you, calling you, and he will fulfill and consummate that sanctification into glorification in the age to come. Believe the good news. Parents, share God's good news, God's promise with your children. And may we do so also this week in Vacation Bible School. And may you yourself, no matter what is going on in your life, hear and receive and believe God's very promise of himself, no matter what and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.